Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. Dr. Damian Kristoff. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And we are very excited today because we have a special guest once again. And uh, we have a practicing GP today, Carol Hungerford from uh, New South Wales. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, Carol. Carol, thank you for joining us, and uh, we really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy woman. Uh, You're also the author of Good Health in the 21st Century. And uh, Carol, tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got involved being a medical doctor writing a book on uh, good health. Well, um, I've been a GP at the time I wrote that book. I've been a GP for 35 years. So, you know, it was published originally in 2006, and it's had a couple of um, new editions since then. But when I wrote it, I was just increasingly frustrated about the education of medical students because what I can see, and it's even worse now than it was, you know, those five or six years ago, is that, the, you know, when I went through medicine, it was basically funded by the taxpayer or your parents, or in my case, both. And you, that's what paid for the education of doctors. Now what pays for the education of doctors is the drug companies. And I'm happy to say that it may not be 100% of the funding, but most of the funding of ever medical degree is coming from drug companies. And they are educating doctors. The young doctors nowadays are learning more and more about drugs and pharmacology and less and less about you know, the basic principles of biochemistry, physiology, etc., and that only leads you down one path. It means that if you've only, you know, the old saying, if the only thing you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And mm-hmm. I think that young doctors nowadays know of all the different drugs that they can treat um, a medical condition with or preventative medicine, drugs that can be used to prevent a risky thing. But they have no comeback when the drug companies you know, argue that this is the best way to go because they're lacking the basic biochemical training that would show that Mother Nature had a lot of those answers inbuilt into our diets, our lifestyles. And, you know, doctors pay lip service all the time to diet and lifestyle and healthy living, but we're still drug-driven. And, I, you know, that despaired me. And so I thought, well, I wanted to write a book for the patients who were a bit mistrustful of all this drug scene and but still wanted to do the right thing, didn't just want to seem to be off the, you know, um, sort of into fig leaf medicine or not that fig leaves mightn't have a lot of nutrients in them, <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, it's easy to get written off as a nutcase if you don't go drug path. It's mm. so true, isn't it? It's interesting you say that because what I've found, Carol, um, increasingly more is, I think this is across the board with uh, even uh, naturopathic medicine, not only just mainstream medicine, is that uh, people are becoming so reliant on a brand name or a product name 
um, or a drug name as opposed to actually understanding the physiology of what's actually going on. So they go, well, here's the condition and this is the remedy as opposed to using their own brains. And I suppose you're right, it's very dangerous territory to move into when the only education that uh, GPs or apparently the only education that they get in terms of um, condition-specific management of disease um, is drug-based information, not the nutritional stuff, which is why you've gone down the route of uh, environmental medicine, nutritional and environmental medicine and the ACNAM, Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, uh, which I love, by the way, I think is excellent and it's an outstanding thing for Australia and the community, um, is great. Can you tell us a bit more about ACNAM and what that actually stands for and how you think that's going to help people out? So the um, acronym comes from the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. And when we're teaching that to young doctors who are very bright people, you know, there's nothing wrong with their brains, but all the education they've been given is how to treat disease, not really at a biochemical level how to prevent disease. And, you know, that they just know a lot about drugs and a lot not, not very much about the biochemistry of why we get the disease in the first place. When we're... We want to teach these people, and we go, in many cases, sadly, you know, if I'm giving a lecture on diabetes, on celiac disease, um, on menopause, I have to go back and take them through first principles of biochemistry. And this is something that shouldn't be being learnt, I believe, as a postgraduate. Mm. It's something that we should, they should have learnt in medical school, as I did. And so, you know, if a drug company rep comes around, I usually don't stay in the room if they come, but if I, you know, fall into conversation with a drug company rep and they come up, you know, that statins are the best way to go, etc., then I can have an intelligent biochemical discussion with them because I know the basic facts that can allow me to argue and say, well, you know, what about vitamin D or what about magnesium? That can do a similar thing to your biochemistry. And they always look a bit shell shock when you say that because that wasn't in the brief as the hard questions doctors might ask. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's tragic. It's tragic. Mm. Yeah, tragic. so one of the things that I read in your book which I really liked is where you're talking about, you know, if someone was generally healthy and they went into their doctor and, and wanted to know how they could stay that way, that a lot of doctors don't necessarily know what to do with that person and how to totally, help them. Totally bemused. Totally bemused. <laughs> and so so I'm wondering yeah, might, what is it you that you think those those doctors might be lacking um, and conversely for the person who goes in to see that doctor what should they be doing who should they be looking for to help them get that information well you know and I don't want to I don't want this to be taken the wrong way when I say sadly but sadly these days I'm more likely to re recommend them see a naturopath than to see a doctor now that's not always the case and I don't want to be make that sound as I'm looking down on naturopaths but what I'm trying to say is that when one doctor can't call on other doctors, you know, to be engaged with that person's health because they know the other doctors are unlikely to give them the sort of advice that you, you know, that I might think um, I want that person to have, then I think it's sad that I've got to go outside my own profession. And I think it's sad not that naturopaths know a lot about biochemistry and physiology, but it's sad that the doctors don't. Mm. Yeah, you know, there was a saying, there is a saying, that if the doctors of, t 
today don't become the nutritionists of tomorrow, then the nutritionists of today will be the doctors of tomorrow. And again, I don't look down on the naturopaths or the nutritionists for being in that position. Um, I just feel sad that the doctors aren't in that same race, as it were. It's uh, it's a pretty concerning thing, I think, uh, what we find, Carol, and, and uh, th- that if a patient rocks into a GP's practice and says, by the way, I'm taking XYZ from the naturopath, um, and the doctor looks down the no- their nose and looks at the patient and says, well, that's ridiculous because that's not going to do a blinking thing. Um, it's only going to work if we cut it out, chop it off, or give you drugs. And uh, it, it's very concerning because people feel so disempowered about the decisions they've made uh, and the money they've spent on actually taking charge of their health. And how do you think it's best that we get on top of that? Well, uh, I mean, I work in three different clinics for different reasons. One of them is in the country where I did part-time. Now, my husband is now a retired engineer who's a full-time organic farmer. And my life is, you know, very, there's a very large part of my life there. So that's one clinic I work in. And I work in two clinics in Sydney, which is a accident of happenstance. But one of them is an absolute joy to work in. Um, I work with Professor Karen Phelps. And, you know, we have a, a genuine integrative clinic. She's so a patient good. might come to, to see me and they've got a pain in the belly, let's say. Now, it is my training and and my experience over, you know, 40 years of being a doctor and six years of medical school and three years in hospitals, it is my training to make sure that person hasn't got appendicitis or an, a dissecting aortic aneurysm or some such thing or ovarian cancer that, you know, is just declaring itself. That is not a naturopath's training or their responsibility. So they come to me, and when they see a doctor, they expect that doctor will be their guard between an acute episode that could kill them um, and, you know, ignorance or lack of training, lack of knowledge. And I like to think my patients will get that as much with me, sadly, sometimes more with me than the so-called conventional real doctors as opposed to you know, nutritional doctors like me who are often seen as not real doctors. I mean, I've yes. got all that training. You know, I'm legally allowed to, um, you know, deliver babies and all those things within my, you know, appropriate area of experience. So in that clinic, the patient who's got the belly ache will see a doctor first. But if we actually think, look, you know, or after some investigations, that this is something more that's going on, Maybe we decide the person's got irritable bowel syndrome. Now, there's a whole lot of paths we can go go down with irritable bowel syndrome. Um, And some of them use orthodox medicine. I must say that I don't have any patients with irritable bowel syndrome that I can think of um, that's on orthodox medicine because the problem in irritable bowel syndrome is not a lack of some drug to calm your bowel down. It is something that you've got to look at their diet, their lifestyle, their nutritional status, their deficiencies, minerals and vitamins. But I might decide that I've tried all those things down that path. I might have tried probiotics. I might have um, done an in-depth analysis of the bacteria in their gut, including the anaerobic ones that 
most of us as in mainstream medicine just ignore because 95% of all the bugs in our gut are actually anaerobic bugs and then therefore they don't like oxygen, therefore they die as soon as they lose the body. And yet this is a large part of our immune system, but, you know, we just ignore them because they're dead when they get out. So, you know, we have um, that. But I might decide, look, I think there may be some herbal medicines or a naturopath's going to do a better job here than me, and I'll pass that patient within the same clinic. So the patient knows that I'm not guarding my medical territory and that is just a joy. And so to That's answer wonderful. your question, I'm sorry it's a very long answer. That's good. The joy, the way of the future, I think, will be integrated clinics where you've it got is. all the skills of the different disciplines. Mm. I'm so glad you say that because, Carol, what we find, and Lawrence, myself and Brett, we, uh, we go around the country and we talk to different groups. And one of the things that we encourage people to do is to engage in integrated type practice. And we talk about wellness uh, on multi-facets, including chiropractic and naturopathy and general practice and acupuncture, meditation, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the, the way forward is with an integrative approach. Uh, and certainly in a wellness setting, an integrative approach is the only way. Uh, is it difficult for the average punter to go out there and try and find someone who thinks like you? Do you think it's easy for them to find someone that like you or easy enough to find someone like you or... You know, are we just trying to pull teeth from a hen? Well, we do. Um, we do. Uh, there are people like me and ACNEM. ACNEM has currently about two or 3,000 Australasia-wide doctors who are trained in this kind of medicine. In other words, they may not be naturopaths or chiropractors or acupuncturists, etc. themselves, but they are trained in integrative medicine they are trained to um, look at wellness rather than just disease. And I don't know a single doctor in ACNEM that doesn't hold in respect, with respect, those other integrative disciplines. Now, as an integrative doctor myself, I'm not a trained herbalist. I respect herbalism. I know it's got a lot to offer. I'm not a herbalist. Um, same with chiropractic, acupuncture, etc., etc. Now, each of those different disciplines have to be judged on their own claims and their own training. So I've got, let's say, for an example, I've got a lot of um, you know, confidence in a well-trained naturopath and a lot of confidence in chiropractic. Um, in the right hands, I think it can be bad in the bad, wrong hands. Um, acupuncture, likewise. I'm a bit more iffy about um, iridology. Um, I can't prove that I don't. You know, there's nothing to it. On the other hand, I've yet to be convinced about you know the science behind iridology. But I'm not that. Well, I would like to think I'm not so arrogant as to think but there's no science behind it. It's just I have yet to see science that makes me excited about iridology the way I might get excited about a um, well-trained you know, herbalist. So I think every discipline has to be judged on its merits, its training, and its, all those criteria. But having said that, if they're all in the one clinic, like Karen Fox's practice, then... You know, they're actually standing up. All those 
individual disciplines are right there under the eyes and the nose of the doctors. So if we think they're doing anything shonky, you know, it's got to um, pass our bullshit detectors. <laughs> and they've got to, yeah, and indeed the patient has, you know, sometimes a patient within our practice will have seen several of the practitioners of different disciplines and we've got to pass their bullshit detectors because yeah. I honestly think we're past the time where doctor knows everything, patient knows nothing, you know, patient just blindly and meekly does what doctor says. Mm. And you would know as well as I do the statistics for the number of patients who die in hospital every year from um, the administration of, um, you know, mainstream medicine. Yeah. So, I mean, hospitals can save lives, don't get me wrong, but they can also, you know, they can also be at fault as well. So it's interesting you sort of mentioned before that, there, that sometimes there can be, I guess, a bit of antagonism between people, between doctors doing taking this slightly more, I guess you'd call it alternative approach, it's environmental medicine approach, uh, as with other doctors. And certainly for the three of us as chiropractors, you know, we've all experienced that uh, from time to time. Um, wh- why do you think that occurs? And, and what do you think we can do to, I guess, kind of bring all these different um, professions together to, to create a more integrative approach? Well, I'm not at all sure. All I can say <laughs> is that each of us have got to keep on doing what we do and um, submitted ourselves, whatever discipline you're from, submit, us, submit ourselves to the same rigorous scientific analysis when anybody you know, challenges us, we've got to be able to say what we do and why we do it and justify it. One of the things that disturbs me most, you may be aware that in New South Wales, an Australia-wide organism has organism, organ, or, you know, um, I don't know what you call it, but an Australia-wide group has been started by Professor John Dwyer called Friends of Science. Yeah, that's a now, crash. That's a ridiculous thing. That but, well, it's a very, very depressing and disturbing thing because he doesn't want any of those disciplines outside of mainstream medicine taught within universities. Yeah. So he's really... He's flying blind. He's basically saying, oh yes, half of the Australian population at some time uses those disciplines and we know they're all rubbish, therefore we not want them to be taught. I mean, if, they, if he doesn't want them, um, he can't stop the public using them. So he really would should welcome them into the university so they too are under the scrutiny of other practice, you know, practitioners and mainstream medicine and professors like him. The problem with John Dwyer, and if you've ever had the, uh, well, I'd call it misfortune of, or I don't know, <laughs> fortune or misfortune, <laughs> listening we'll to him in debate with um, Professor Karen Phelps, it's, it's really quite fascinating. Everything that he throws at Karen... And, you know, I have to say, obviously, I work with Karen and I'm, you know, very fond of her and, and hold her in the highest esteem as an outstanding mainstream doctor as well as an open-minded doctor. Um, everything that he throws at her, she can bat back. But when she gives some answer, his way of dealing with her, you listen to any... Um, there's, I gather there are some of these recorded on 
you know, ABC Radio National, if you want to... Yeah, I've heard can of. use those MP3 players and things, which I can't. But if you listen to those, <laughs> his response to anything Karen challenges him is to talk over the top of that. He yeah. says there's no science in that. Yeah. Yes, you know, John Dwyer, there may be no science. What is your answer? Where is your evidence? He demands a level of evidence from her and from the people like us that she represents. He demands a level of scientific, you know, understanding that he himself is unable to give when the, the balls, you know, the balls battered into his court. His idea of a, uh, his idea of a debate is to shout her down. Yeah. Now, you know, and yeah, yet he calls himself a friend of science. Now, I made a personal attack on him because I had a particular yeah. antipathy towards that. I'm glad you but did. The point is, yeah. he isn't able to submit himself to the sort of scrutiny that he demands of us. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the real issue, isn't it? It's the double standard that exists there in terms of the, the level of evidence and the level of proof that's required that's not consistent across the board, I guess. You can put a pile of evidence in front of him and without looking at it, he will say There's, that's not scientific. Now, you know, you've got to look at it. If you're going to, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to say I'm not convinced by or not deeply convinced by iridology, I've got to say what it is that isn't working for me or I've got to be able to actively refute it. But I don't do that because I'm not actually out to persecute iridologists in the way he is out to persecute anybody that he sees is not orthodox. I mean, you know, I would, li I will listen to them. I just say that I haven't, on that particular discipline, been convinced. But it doesn't mean, it just may mean that I haven't, you know, read enough or learned enough. Yeah, the yeah for sure. The point is that to ban it, try and get a ban from university, all those so-called, you know, all the so-called alternate things, and yet that's the sort of force that you and me and Karen are against. That's and it. the poor public, because the public, a lot of public will swear by their naturopaths, their iridologists, their chiropractic, Absolutely. you know. Absolutely. Yeah, look, it is, it's beyond ignorance and it's just pig-headedness. And, you know, I think we all agree on that. But one of the things I reckon is a burning question, and I'd love to go with this on with, with you uh, on this, uh, Carolyn, would be to understand, I suppose a lot of people are very confused and, and people out there doing the wellness thing, certainly the people listening to the wellness guys, hear stories all the time that uh, if they get one of the big bad diseases, let's just say it's cancer, that what they've been doing... Um, or, or what they understand as being healthful, so vitamins, minerals, diet, lifestyle, meditation, all these sorts of things, will be ineffective against cancer because it's just no good and they've got to go drugs or surgery. And many, many people are very, very scared about um, what might happen if they get one of these things because they've got to turn to the dark side, so to speak. What's your take on preventative methods for cancer or even treatment of cancer with alternative or uh, nutritional and environmental medicine? Well, let me give you a good example on that. Now, let's divide cancer into preventing it and treating it once it's there because it is a big difference, the two. You know, they morph into one another, but they are two different things. If I want to prevent cancer, I, apart from doing all the obvious things that every doctor pay, pays lip service to, you know, you don't smoke, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't eat crap. If we want to prevent cancer, we could go across the board 
and say, well, all cancers or some can which specific cancer. If you want to prevent it, I think a good way to start is look at your family tree or family history. If your father died of bowel cancer, your grandfather died of bowel cancer, your brother's got bowel cancer, you're in the running mate for bowel cancer. You know, the genetics are a big player in all of these diseases. So if it's a strong family history of bowel cancer, you'd get more more frequent colonoscopies, definitely. Um, And, you know, I think there is a place for mainstream medicine. If I had bowel cancer, I'd want that bit of bowel chopped out. You know, I wouldn't deny that for a moment. Because I want to prevent it, right? I haven't got it. I've had a colonoscopy because my mother had bowel cancer at my age, let's say. I haven't got any sign of it at the moment. What do I want to prevent it? Let's look at some of the good evidence. Now, there's a guy called Professor Graham Young in um, Adelaide at Flinders University who did a very elegant study, which the result of which indicated that if you put every Australian on a hundred, and this was published in 2009, if you put every Australian on 150 micrograms a day of selenium, we would have the rate of um, bowel cancer in this country within a decade. Hmm. Oh. Now, that's true preventative medicine. It's totally non-invasive. There is no risk or side effect by taking that amount of selenium, none whatsoever. And how, did, how can I say that so confidently? Well, in 1996, I think it was, around then, a guy called Professor Larry Clark in America did a, what was known as the National Pre- Prevention of Cancer Trial. They took 1,300 people. They were men mostly. And they put them on exactly that amount. They had 200 micrograms of selenium, selenium a day. They were going to run the study for five years. Under the ethical rules of studies, After uh, they were going to run it 10 years. After five years, they were forced to terminate the study. Now, you have to terminate studies for one of two reasons. One, that it is obviously doing the treatment is doing harm. Or two, doing the treatment is so obviously beneficial that under the laws, the ethical laws, laws of trials, you have to offer the active treatment to the control group as well. And they were forced by those international laws to stop the study because it was so obvious that the people on the all causes of cancer across the board were reduced by 60, 60, 60% um, in the people who were on the selenium. And so they had to stop the trial and offer the people in the control group to also have the selenium. So that was more than 13 or 14 years ago. And then uh, 10 years later... Does anything? Does the Cancer Council of Australia leap on that? Does the Cancer Council of Australia say, "Oh, we've got one of the lowest levels of selenium on earth," you know, in Australia? We better get on to this. They do sweet nothing about it. Hmm. And then, ten years later, Graham Young does that study, and where is the status of selenium? Well, I can tell you, at a Gawler Foundation dinner, I sat opposite the. Um, head of the Australian Cancer Council, and I'd challenged him from the order, you know, from the panel during the day, and we had to look politely at each other opposite dinner, and I 
I, I had trouble, you know, to even sit on the same table as the man, let me tell you. But it was it came up, this selenium story, and he smiled passively and at the end of the evening said to me, I like to hear a person with passion. In other words, he was made this condescending git-like remark to me that he thought my ideas were crazy, obviously, but it was nice to see I had passion. Now, I think that's medically irresponsible, and it's and and we are still not recommending, or even at that um, at that Gawler Foundation event, there were several women in the audience with their scarves on their head because they're on chemotherapy for whatnot. They put their hand up. They asked him, what about selenium? My oncologist said it might make me worse. And again, he gave this passive, wimpish response of which, oh, I'm sure you would find, uh, if you look around, you'll find an oncologist um, who would be willing to think about doing that with you. Now, that was the point that I, you know, I just couldn't shut up any longer and I, you know, interrupted him or I spoke from the panel and I said, you show us one of those oncologists because all the ones we know either know nothing about it or they tell us it might interfere with their treatment. You know, I mean, it's so would it, to prevent cancer across the board, take, take um, uh, a selenium, you know, 150 to 200 micrograms a day and never let your vitamin D level drop below 80. And we're all now so terrified of melanoma that we are now running a very dangerous level of vitamin D deficiency. Mm. And there's an absolutely beautiful study from the States showing that the lower your vitamin D, the greater your risk of cancer, all cancers. And if some of your listeners want to do this, just Google melanoma vitamin D. And what we find is that at presentation, people who are just diagnosed with a melanoma are more likely to have vitamin D deficiency than have... Um, you know, a vitamin D adequacy. So I think what that tells us is we get burnt when we're young and stupid and get our pre-melanomatous damage done, but then when we get older and wiser, we cover up, we slip, slap, slop, we get low vitamin D levels and the cancer comes out. But they are now in various places overseas, let's say for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer and bowel cancer, using vitamin D not only as a preventative measure for um, those cancers, but also for active treatment, you know, active treatment of a present cancer. And I just think, you know, if this is not common knowledge in the public, then I think the Cancer Council should be hanging its head in shame. Yeah. Sorry, Carol, this, get a bit carried away. No, no, this is fantastic stuff, Carol. Like, I mean, this is the amazing stuff. Which, I mean, you know... The Wellness Guys fans know that we've been talking about vitamin D in various episodes and, and telling the importance of that and, and saying how deficient we are, most you know most of us are, and how, why we so important to uh, to take that. So really, thank you for reinforcing that, and uh, it's amazing stuff. So really, you know, just just amazing stuff today. And I hope really I hope the listeners got a couple of perspectives in this call. You know, first of all, obviously the cancer aspect to what you just mentioned is amazing, but also the perspective of the politics behind the scene. That you know, those are the things that um, 
those are the things that most people don't really see. You know, the, the, the patient's point of view, they always see sort of the, what they come up with and, and they think that uh, we all kind of work together behind the scenes, but a lot of times there is no integration, and uh, which is sad. So, you know, hopefully in the near future with people like yourself and Karen uh, Phelps, it will be really great to, to see something, um, an integration amongst everybody. So that'll be fantastic. So thank you so much, Carol, for, for your time and your insights. Um, for those of you who want to know more about Carol, please go to her website, carolhungerford.com.au. We'll leave the link on our website so that you can actually link up to her website. Thank you so much, Carol. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I've enjoyed being on. I'm sorry I did get carried away there and angry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It, it, it really, yeah, I mean, love that passion, but it also shows that, you know, there are people there are people out there like you and uh, people can't, I went on the, uh, the ACNAM website to be able to find practitioners near where they live to be able to find uh, practitioners that, uh, they that, can. that would support they them. Can, so. They can get names, addresses, and locations for ACNAM yeah. trained doctors and other practitioners. Yeah, which is great. So fantastic. So as always, guys, make sure you go to thewellnessguys.com. Leave your comment below this particular episode and tell us what you think. Tell us what, you, you know, go on Facebook and let's carry the conversation there. Tell us, you know, your frustrations that you've had um, going, you know, to various practitioners. It could be a medical doctor, it could be a chiropractor, it could be a naturopath. And, and also tell us, you know, what the, the great things that have happened when you actually went to either one of these people too, to be able to help that they actually help you, guide you to other professions that will have actually solved your, your problem. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes as always. And until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives lead by example and let's change the world's health together join us next week on the wellness guy show